We have been teaching on the subject of righteousness for a number of weeks now, and uh, we have looked at one of the theme scriptures uh, that we have looked at is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So God made Jesus to be sin for us. Where did that occur? On the cross. Jesus on the cross was made to be our sin. And he was made to be our sin so that the last part of the verse could come into reality for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So once a person believes on Jesus, accepts Jesus as the Lord of their life, the moment they put their faith in Jesus, they become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have determined from Scripture that righteousness is a gift. It is a gift because Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says that those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So righteousness is a gift. We've also determined that it is received by faith. And it is received by faith not by works. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done. So it's not, as, not by our efforts or our deeds or our good works, but it is by faith in Jesus Christ. More particularly, it is by faith in the blood of Jesus. We see that from Romans chapter 3 and other places as well. And then also it is by faith in the redemptive work of Christ, in the redemption of, of Jesus Christ. And so through the redemptive work of Christ, we put faith in that redemptive work or faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we receive uh, the gift of righteousness. And then last of all, it's received by grace, and so therefore it's by faith in the grace of God, and again, not by our works or by our self-effort. So receiving the gift of righteousness uh, means that we are approved and accepted by God. Uh, in our uh, teaching so far, we have determined that we are approved by God. We're without blame, without shame. And so, thank God, we are accepted in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1, we are accepted in the Beloved. So we've been accepted in Christ. And then, uh, understanding that we've been accepted and approved, and that we meet God's standard, righteousness uh, is a standard, uh, it, it is a gift and it is based on the standard of God. And so we have met that standard of righteousness based on receiving by faith the gift of righteousness. So again, we're accepted and approved as a result. Well, then, uh, if we are accepted and we are approved or we are righteous in Christ Jesus because of our union with Him or being one with Him. Uh, then we can produce the fruit of righteousness, which brings us to our next verse in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So there are numerous different fruits of righteousness. When we say fruit of righteousness, then we could talk about a product of righteousness, what happens as a result of righteousness or a benefit of righteousness. And so what does righteousness produce in one's life, in a person's life? Well, righteousness, uh, based on this verse of Scripture, is, again, fruits, plural, numerous different things that this would produce in your life. So, number one, uh, righteousness 
being a gift, uh, many times people are righteous, but they don't know that they're righteous. In other words, they've not been taught uh, from Scripture that they are the righteousness of God. They are a child of God. They're born again. They've accept, accepted Jesus as the Lord of their life, but they've not been taught that they have received the gift of righteousness. So knowing that you are righteous is essential in order to produce the fruit of righteousness. And so knowing that, understanding that, having a revelation of righteousness enables you to produce fruit. But if you want to produce the most fruit in your life, then we need to be uh, conscious of that. We've talked some about sin consciousness versus righteousness consciousness. So righteousness consciousness or being aware or living with that uh, awareness, being conscious that you're the righteousness of God comes as a result of hearing the word of God taught. And that's why we continue to teach on the subject until it just saturates your spirit like a soaking rain, saturates the earth until your spirit is saturated with the truth about your righteousness in Christ. Because faith always comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So if we are going to be established in the righteousness of God, we will need to hear and continue to hear until our spirit is saturated in the knowledge of God. All right, well, then you need to take that home with you and you need to meditate on the word uh, in order to become the most fruitful in your life. If we're going to bear the fruit of righteousness, we need to have some time of meditation on the scripture so that, again, our spirit maintains this saturation point. Uh, just like the earth gets saturated, if the rain falls, you get enough rainfall, and at a certain point, the earth gets saturated and you start having a flood. Right? So, spiritually, you just get saturated with the Word of God until you start having a flood in your life. You start overflowing with this life of God or this righteousness of God. And so there is an outward display, just like fruit would be an outward display of a fruit tree. There is an outward display of the righteousness of God in your life, in your life experience, in everyday life. And wherever you go, whatever you do, you're producing the fruit of righteousness. And if you're producing the fruit of righteousness, what's it going to do? It's going to bring glory to God. It's going to bring praise to God, according to this verse. And so we want to bring glory and praise to God. So therefore, we want to produce the fruit of righteousness. When we talk again about the fruit of righteousness, we've looked at a scripture in, in Isaiah chapter 61. It says that we are trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. So we're planted in Christ. We're rooted and grounded in Christ. We're planted in the soil of God, if you will, and we're drawing on the nutrients of God himself. And so we then can produce the fruit of righteousness because we're planted in God who is righteous. And we're made the righteousness of God, living with the awareness and the consciousness that we are the righteousness of God, then it frees us from things in our life. And today we want to look a little bit about freedom from fear. So we'll begin here in our uh, study today in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse uh, verse 8. But just to give you a little background of the story, we know in chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth and God created the plant life, the animal life, and he created man. And he said he created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, replenish the earth, fill the people, earth with people like yourself. But we know something happened. 
even though God created man in his image with the life of God and in a right relationship with God, had a connection with God, we know that Adam sinned against God. And without taking the time to tell the whole story or uh, read all of the verses uh, in chapter 3, we know that uh, Satan comes, he tempts uh, Eve, he he talks to Eve, uh, you know, and so the devil uses this serpent to talk to Eve and she falls for the lies and the deception. She falls for it. She eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they had been commanded not to eat of in chapter two. Of course, it wasn't in chapters and verses. It's just the life uh, story. And so in chapter two, uh, God commanded them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the day you eat thereof, you're going to die. And so in chapter three, Eve eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She hands the fruit to her husband, gave also to her husband with her. He also ate and they died, meaning they died spiritually. They were cut off from a relationship with God. They lost the life of God. Ephesians uh, chapter uh, what 4 verse 18 in the New Testament says that we were alienated from the life of God or cut off from the life of God. So uh, Adam and Eve were cut off from the life of God. They lost this life that came from God. But they also were cut off from a right relationship with God. So the relationship with God was severed. That sin, that disobedience to the Father God, uh, then separated them from a relationship with God. So they didn't have a right relationship with God. They had lost the life of God. And so in this setting of this, in chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. So after they've died spiritually, after they're cut off from the life of God, cut off from a relationship with God, verse 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I am... Uh, persuaded that God did this every day, that God spent time with them, fellowshipping with them. It's indicated in this verse, but you know, God loves to fellowship with us. And uh, Adam was created in the image of God, in the likeness of God as a spirit being who had the capacity to commune and to fellowship with God. In the New Testament, it says, God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him. In spirit, what? And in truth. So to fellowship with God means that now he has to be a spirit being in right relationship with God and uh, in order to fellowship with God. But now he has sinned against God and God comes down to fellowship with him or to talk with him. And he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So Adam, who was, I believe, accustomed to fellowship with the Father, fellowship with God, now is hearing the voice of God and he's hiding from the presence of God. He's running away from the presence of God rather than running to the presence of God. And so God wants us to experience his presence, and I'm so grateful for the presence of God. When you've tasted of the presence of God, I mean, just a moment in God's presence is like, can be life-changing. The Holy Spirit on you for a minute or five minutes or 30 minutes is just an amazing experience. And when you've experienced and you've tasted of the presence of God, you don't want to miss out on God's presence. But here, Adam, who is accustomed to the presence of God, now is running and hiding. He's afraid. He's running away from the presence of God. And so, and rather than running to God, he's running away from God. Now, let's go to verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where are you? 
Now, we know God is all-knowing, and he is, and I'm confident God is God. And one of the things that tells you he is God is that he knows everything. Unlike us. Look at your neighbor say, not like you in that way. All right. We know you don't know everything, right? So nobody in the room knows everything. Now, some people think they know everything, but they don't. We all know they don't know everything, right? But God knows everything, and God knows where Adam is. But God says, Adam, where are you? And why is he asking Adam, where are you? He's trying to get a confession out of Adam. He's trying to get Adam to be honest and to tell the truth about his action. And so he said, where are you? And what, ha- what happens in verse 10 So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so Adam's response to God when God is saying, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, what happened here in Adam? Because previously he's accustomed to the presence of God, but now he's running from the presence of God. He's hiding from the presence of God, and he's uh, he's afraid. He's no longer confident and assured in the presence of God. So what's happened? He's died spiritually. He's lost his right relationship with God. And so he's fearful of God. Now, there's a difference in being afraid of God and running away from God and having the fear of God, which is appropriate and uh, which is more of a reverence for God, uh, because that attracts you to God. When you revere God, you honor God, you respect God, and you are drawn into his presence. But being afraid of God uh, in the sense of uh, fearful of God causes you to run away from God. So here Adam is running from God. He's hiding from God. And, and the New Testament says in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, what? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what? Power, love, and of a sound mind. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, love, and of a sound, well-balanced, strong mind. Amen. Now, if Adam has this spirit of fear and he's running away from God, he didn't get it from God. He got it from the devil. And the devil uh, is now, in a large way, controlling Adam's emotions. He's controlling his mind, his thoughts, and he's running away from God. But God says, where are you, Adam? Well, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So he was ashamed. And what what does uh, the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses away your sin, cleanses uh, away your guilt, and it takes away your shame. Hallelujah. And what does righteousness do? It, It frees you from this guilt and shame of the past. And gives you a sense of acceptance in the presence of God and and, uh, approval in the presence of God and and knowing that you're right with God and God accepts you in the beloved or in Christ Jesus. So you're the righteousness of God in Christ. But now he's not conscious of his righteousness because he's lost his right relationship with God. And so he's fearful. uh, He's ashamed. He feels guilty. He's tried to cover himself with fig leaves, the scripture says. He's tried to cover up himself. And when God is questioning him about his action, what is he doing? He's running from God. He's hiding from God. He's fearful of God. 
So a right uh, fear was released in the human race through the fall of Adam. Sin consciousness makes us fearful of God, makes us afraid of God, makes us run away from God. But righteousness consciousness, on the other hand, frees us from the spirit of fear. Frees us from fear. It frees us from shame. It frees us from guilt. And so we're not afraid of God. We are we're running to God. It's like um, I remember a number of years ago I was uh, in Israel, and Pastor Vicky and myself, and I was actually in Jerusalem, and I was just walking across. We were just walking across the parking lot, and this little boy was running to his father, and he was saying, Abba, Abba, which means daddy or father, you know. It's a real intimate word in Hebrew. And so uh, we can cry, the scripture says, Abba, Father, my father. So God is our father. And he wants us to run to him. God doesn't want us to run away from him. Even if we've sinned, we need to run to him. Because if we run to him, there's redemption through the blood of Jesus. There's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you in a moment of time when you acknowledge your sin. You know, the uh, scripture says in Proverbs that if you hide your sin, you'll not prosper. But then, of course, we are uh, to, the scripture says that love covers a multitude of sin, not covering up your own. No, you're covering your brother and you're, uh, you're wanting them to be restored. In other words, you're not talking about them. Uh, you're talking to them. You're encouraging them. God loves you. In the spirit of meekness, you restore such a one uh, that is caught up in sin. So God is a restorer, isn't he? How many are glad God is a restorer? That, uh, that he doesn't condemn us to death. He's trying to help us and give us hope and restor- restoration in our soul. But here, uh, Adam... You know, he's, he's afraid of God. He's running away from God. But now through Jesus, we have freedom from fear. We're restored. And what does E.W. Kenyon say? One of our uh, comments in this time and quotes uh, of teaching on righteousness. Righteousness gives you the ability to do what? Stand in the presence of God. Stand in the presence of God. Not cower in the presence of God like you're unworthy. No, stand in the presence of God with assurance and confidence that God accepts you. Stand in the presence of God without a sense of sin, without a sense of guilt or condemnation or inferiority. What does that do when you have a sense of sin and guilt? You're fearful. You run away. Shame causes you to run away from people. Condemnation causes you to run away. Inferiority, intimidation causes you to run away. But we don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to run away from God. We can come to him. Our guilt and our shame is washed away by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because our sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. God, he says he, he, he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He's not re- remembering our iniquities against us. He's not holding our sins against us. The blood of Jesus has cleansed our sin. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. So it gives us the ability to stand in the presence of God without this sense or this consciousness of sin, guilt, condemnation, or 
inferiority. Now, if you keep reading the story here, and we'll not read it all, just give you a little idea of what Adam did, because he was caught, you understand. But God doesn't just catch us to condemn us. God catches us to help us. But he's caught. And, and so what did he do? Uh, he said to God, uh, uh, the woman. He shifted the blame, didn't he? He said, uh, the woman uh, that you gave me. It was bad enough that he blamed his wife, but now, uh, you know, uh, he blames God. He said, the woman that you gave me, uh, it's her fault. God, it's your fault. Now, all, all women want a man like that, right? No, come on. Come on, women. You ought to be, you ought to be in my amen corner about right now. You, don't, you want a man that's going to take responsibility, right, for his own action, for his own self. Thank you, Jesus. So he, he shifted the blame. He blamed her, and then he blamed God, said, that's why I messed up God. But, you know, God called them both on the carpet, so to speak, and God dealt with them. But you know, he didn't just deal with them, he dealt with sin. In the person of Jesus, how many are glad he dealt with our sin in the person of Jesus? If God can eliminate sin, he can eliminate your shame. I'm preaching better than you amen right now. I said if God can eliminate sin, he can eliminate your shame. If he can eliminate sin, he can eliminate your, your guilt. And if he can eliminate sin, which he did, if he can eliminate sin through the blood of Jesus and through the redemptive work of Christ, if he can eliminate sin, he can eliminate your guilt, your condemnation, but he can eliminate your inferiority, he can eliminate your fear. He can eliminate your intimidation. Fear is intimidating. It tries to put you in a box or hold you in, in, in its grip. But thank God for the blood of Jesus that doesn't only uh, set you free from sin. It sets you free from the sin consciousness. It sets you free from the guilt and the shame and the, and the condemnation and, and all that comes with sin. It comes as a package. And so thank God for the blood. By faith in the blood of Jesus, your sin has been erased. Your condemnation, your blame, your shame, your guilt has been erased. You say, I'm still working on it, Pastor. Well, just work on it with a word. We're all working together with the Holy Spirit. But just let God do this. God does a whole, whole lot better job than you can do on your own. Trying to work it out, work it up, trying to make it happen. Because this is called fruit of righteousness. You don't see trees going, uh, struggling to produce fruit. Right? They're, they're not as fruitful sometimes because of the insects and the boars and the things that attack them from the outside. But thank God you have something on the inside that frees you from the attack that comes from the outside. The devil attacks your mind with condemnation, with guilt, with shame, with fear. You can resist it with the Word of God. You can stand firm on the truth because the Word has power to resist the devil and enable you to produce the fruit of righteousness. Now, if you are a tree of righteousness, obviously you can produce the fruit of righteousness. Now, let's go to Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 54, and we're going to go to verse 14. Isaiah chapter 54. It says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. And there are terrorists in the world that want to terrorize and want you to be influenced or affected by their terror. People that murder other people want other people to be afraid of them. And they want to strike terror. Now here, when you're established in righteousness, he says what? That you'll be far from oppression. And you will not be afraid. So this righteousness consciousness frees you from oppression. It frees you from fear itself that causes oppression. What is oppression? Well, oppression would be the result of negative thinking, emotional down. You start feeling depressed and become oppressed and don't seem like you can shake it emotionally, mentally. You just don't feel yourself. You don't feel right. You're not happy. You don't get up with, with uh, vigor in your life. But God, hallelujah, doesn't want you oppressed. He doesn't want you depressed. He doesn't want you fearful. He don't want you ruled by the oppressor. The enemy, the devil, is an oppressor. And he can be very oppressive and try to control because he's a control freak. And he tries to oppress people mentally and emotionally. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. When you're established in righteousness, he said you'll be far from oppression for you shall not fear. So we want you to get established in righteousness. And the minister Darnell, he oversees the maintenance of our property. He doesn't do it all himself. He has other people under his leadership, but he oversees it. And he knows and we know, if you take notice, we've had a few trees in the back parking lot that we've lost. Because when you buy trees many times in Las Vegas at the nursery, you get this little small twig of a tree and it's got, you know, a ball on top, so to speak. You know, it's got the leaves on it. And, and so you plant that tree, but you have to uh, put some stakes beside that tree. Because in Las Vegas, it's windy. In other words, there's adversity. So you got to put some stakes on the tree and you got to tie the tree to those stakes because those stakes uh, are strong enough in some cases to hold the tree, but we've had a few stakes break, and so we've lost trees. So you buy another tree and a little small tree, and I said, can you find a bigger tree to get a start, <laughs> get established? So you're, you're, you're tying that tree so that it uh, can have some time to get established. And in time, if it gets established, then you can take the stakes off. You can take the God wires off. And that way, uh, that tree can survive on its own now. It can stand some winds. And when the winds come, it can bend a little bit. And it can come back. And it's good. 
Why? It's grown. It's established. And that's the way we need to be as Christians. We need to be established because you do have wins. You do have adversity. You have some, uh, some things that hit your mind and things that hit your life that you didn't plan for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's not like you put that on your Saturday afternoon schedule or your Wednesday morning schedule that this is going to happen and you plan for that. No, you didn't plan for this adversity. You didn't plan for this storm or this wind to come to your life. You didn't plan for that thought to hit your mind and that temptation to come to your life. You didn't plan for the devil to uh, put this oppression on your soul or uh, this downturn in your emotions because of the circumstances that occurred in your life. You didn't plan for that. But if you get established when it hits, when the oppressor comes... When the one that tries to put depression on your life, an emotional negative in your life, negative thinking on your mind, when the devil comes to hit your life with some circumstance, thank God you've been established in the Word of God and the Word of God has established you in righteousness. And so you can take the winds. And we'll liken those stakes to how many are glad for some good friends in your life? I mean, some people that are standing with you when the winds are hitting you when you're a babe in Christ or you're young in Christ or when you weren't established enough to handle that temptation or that test or, you know, because sometimes you think, man, I'm, I've, been, I've been going a while. I've been serving God a long time. But I tell you, you didn't plan for this adversity to hit your life and you never knew it would be like that, Right. But thank God for some friends in your life that are hanging there, standing there. They're standing with you, and they're holding you steady when the winds are trying to blow you and take you out and break your life apart. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, and thank God for some relationships in the blood. Hallelujah. In the family of God. You got some blood relationships in the blood of Jesus. Amen. You got some family relationships in the blood of Jesus, and thank God for some people in your life. And everybody look at your neighbor and say, everybody needs friends. And everybody needs at least four crazy friends. Amen. Radical enough that it'll take you up on a roof and help you get in front of Jesus. You, you know, the four men, they took the man, the lame man up on the roof and tore a hole in the roof and got him in front of Jesus and he got healed. Amen. How many are glad for some people that'll tear a hole in a roof if necessary, take you up on a roof if necessary. They'll get you to Jesus, get you in the presence of God. See, the devil wants to get you out of the presence of God, wanted to get Adam and Eve out of the presence of God, because if they get out of the presence of God and they're not aware and conscious of their righteousness in Christ and they are no longer righteous, then he can whip them. But if you're made the righteousness of God, you need to maintain your consciousness of the righteousness of God so you can win the fight of faith in life. You can win over fear in your life. When fear attacks your mind and thoughts attack your mind or oppression attacks your life, I can tell you, you can stand steady. Why? You've been established in the word of righteousness. You've been established in the work of righteousness in Christ. And so now you're able to withstand Scripture says, put on the whole armor of God. One of those pieces of armor is a breastplate of righteousness. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And talks about all the different parts uh, of the armor. And he said, having done all to stand, stand. 
and then withstand. Withstand. When you've done all to stand, withstand. You've got to keep on standing. Hallelujah. We don't want to be a broken off tree in the back. Amen. We want to be strong in the Lord. Strong in Christ. Now, how do you get established? Well, you keep hearing the word. I mean, if you, and we've talked about the word of righteousness and teaching on righteousness. We've likened it to a soaking rain. You just, you just keep watering the, uh, the tree and eventually that tree's going to grow up. It's going to be established and it'll be strong, right? So you got to water it with the water of the word. Water your life spiritually. You got to keep letting the water of the word water you. And what did the Apostle Paul say? He says, one sows, another waters, but God gives the increase. Dad Hagen used to say it this way, Brother Hagen. He said, the watering process is the continuing to hear the word. Initially, you sow the seed and the word of God gets in your heart and it produces faith in your heart. But he said, if you continue to hear the word, that's the watering process. In other words, you can't just hear the word once and think, I got this. No, you got to keep hearing the word. Because when you keep hearing the word, it waters your spirit, waters your life, and it causes you to grow, causes you to expand spiritually, grow spiritually. And and as you do, you get established. Because what's on top of the ground is what you see, but what's under the ground is your root system. And so your root system determines your fruit system. In other words, if you want to bear fruit, you got to have some root. And so as a Christian, you want to keep growing your roots in Christ and be rooted and grounded and established in the righteousness of God. Now, what happens in Mark chapter 4? Remember, the sower sows the word. He's talking about the word being like a seed. Sower sows the word. And what does the devil do? It says immediately the devil comes to steal the word. That was sown in their hearts. So the devil's out to steal the word because he knows if he can get the word from you, he can hinder your growth. And if he can hinder your growth and you're being established, he can hinder your fruitfulness and he can cause fear to dominate your life. But thank God for the blood. Thank God for the word. We hold fast to the word of God. We hold fast to our confession of the word and we maintain a spirit of faith. So fear opens the door to the oppression of the devil, but righteousness, consciousness frees us from oppression and frees us from fear. Now, he says, you shall be far. What? Far from oppression. For you shall not fear and from terror. And it will not even get near you. He said, it won't even come near you. Now, I I think about the word far and the Uh, I I, uh, think about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, far above, talking about Jesus, the resurrection, far above all principality and power and might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So this resurrection of Jesus talks about Ephesians 1, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And he said that power raised him far above principality and power. In other words, the spirit of this world, the principalities and powers that rule in the atmosphere, rule in this world. He said those spirits, Jesus was raised far above them. 
So the spirit that wants to oppress you and fear that wants to oppress you and, and intimidation that wants to oppress you and depress you, thank God you've been raised far above all principality and power. Now, if you take it to the next uh, chapter, because the theme uh, continues from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, verse 6, it says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has raised us up together. Ah, so if Jesus was raised up far above principalities and powers, then you are raised up far above all principality and power. And if you're raised up far above all principality and power, and you are seated together with Christ in heavenly places at the Father's right hand, then spiritually you're in heavenly places and you're far above all principality and power that would try to oppress you, cause fear in your life and intimidation in your life. Thank God you need to see yourself raised with Christ, seated with Christ, ruling and reigning together with Christ. Those who have received the abundance of grace and of the what gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So you need to see yourself in Christ, positioned in Christ, righteous in Christ, and live with this righteousness consciousness that frees you from fear that frees you from oppression so you're not oppressed in your mind you're not depressed because of intimidating thoughts but you're living free you're living at rest and in peace and you're enjoying God's best somebody say God is good God is good 